Greetings, and welcome to the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. I'm Phyllis Hollis, your host. As an extension of my Instagram page, Cerebral Women, this podcast offers insights into the visual art world. I interview artists, mainly artists of color and female artists, who will freely articulate what inspires their creativity. In addition, you'll hear interesting perspectives from dedicated art professionals who work with artists and the art institutions that feature them. I'm confident that collectively, these individuals will indeed stimulate your mind as they do our eyes. Please know these interviews are conducted in my Manhattan apartment, so please forgive the background sounds of city life. Welcome to the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. This is my first episode discussing COVID-19 and how its arrival has impacted one of many communities within the art world. I interview Nico Whedon, the executive director of Next Haven, a multidisciplinary arts incubator located in New Haven, Connecticut. The nonprofit nurtures rising artists through its fellowship programs and offers talented teens from the local high schools paid apprenticeships. Nico and the Next Haven team plays a very important role in many people's lives, and it is for that reason I invited Nico on my podcast during the invasion of this virus. She's dynamic, multifaceted, and generous with her intellect. She will share with us her passion and how Next Haven is helping artists and others survive this difficult time. Thank you and enjoy. Nico, thank you so much for joining uh, me on my Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. I really felt it was a very uh, important time for us to hear your voice, not only because you, you run an unbelievable organization as it pertains to supporting artists and those in the local community, but also because in, in many ways you're a, a first responder for a lot of the artists that you're connected to. Um, but before we start to talk about Next Haven, I would like to for you to um, share with us you know, tell us about yourself. At, at what point did you discover your passion? And and I'm really curious about your choice of um, of your studies. I mean, you studied art, symbionics, and creative and cultural entrepreneurship. Um, tell us about, first of all, what, why you made those choices. And second, what exactly um, did you learn? Yeah, um... Well, thank you very much for having me. Uh, this is my very first podcast experience, so I'm excited to be sharing that with you. Um, yeah, and so I think, you know, there's a couple of things that I'd probably disclaim first as a way of getting to know me and understanding uh, why I advocate for art and artists. Um, and so I think, you know, first and foremost, I, I identify as an artist. Um, so, you know, I arrive at advocating for art because I know from my personal experience um, you know, the power of art to really transform individuals, um, but also in turn their communities. Um, and so I think, yeah, there's many kind of examples in my life I can point to for how art has transformed me, um, and my family, um, by opening up, you know, new ways of seeing and observing and translating the world that we share. Um, yeah, but, you know, I think it's also, it's, it's like the lens through which I build community. And so, 
you know, I'm, I'm married to a chemist, um, but many people always ask, they say, oh, you know, uh, is, is Malik an artist? And I say, well, no, but you know, he's, he's an artist who's looking for his medium. Um, and so I think when I look at the people that, you know, surround me in both my work and in my daily life, um, I'm surrounded by creatives and uh, creative problem solvers. Um, and so I think, you know, kind of within that, it's been, um, you know, my preference, and uh, this comes in part from who I am and how I self-identify is, you know, advocating for artists of color, um, women writers, LGBTQI makers. Um, and I think, you know, that's an important thing to say up front. <laughs> um, because, you know, I think that, uh, especially when we get to talking about COVID and how, you know, the kind of new ecosystem that we're sharing is impacted uh, disproportionately, you know, among people of color, I think those are really important distinctions to make up front. Um, and so in terms of my, my studies, um, you know, I also disclaim that, like, I didn't ever study art history. Um, at this point in my life, I'm 36. I'm kind of proud of it. <laughs> uh, and I think, you know, again, most of that choice was wrapped up in not feeling like, you know, the communities that I identify with were represented in that kind of dominant narrative. And so, you know, I studied art theory and I, I chose that as a choice uh, predominantly because, you know, theory applies pretty broadly, um, but it's also like totally useless if not applied within a context um, and if not applied as a practice. So, yeah, I, I decided to study at Brown University um, because, you know, of the open curriculum. Um, but also that to me in my kind of, you know, search for a place to land, it felt like the most true liberal arts education I could find. Um, and so, you know, I was really fortunate to kind of find my mentors and advisors almost immediately. I think you, you could declare sophomore year, but I declared uh, freshman year. And it's because I'd met Marlene Malik and John Mayer. Um, yeah. Who really kind of emboldened me to like, take my creativity to new depths, um, but also to think about it uh, as something that needs to be communicated outwardly. Um, and so, yeah, I think, you know, when I look at my path and I look at how I got here, I think I have to at least honor and acknowledge my, my parents. Um, you know, my mom is a photographer and a writer. Uh, my dad is engineer um, and by extension, you know, like a problem solver. Um, so I think that, you know, those kind of modes of like translating what could be an aesthetic sensibility into, you know, concrete kind of actionable ideas. Um, it's like totally inscribed in my DNA. Uh, and so I, I feel fortunate to have to have that uh, as kind of my context through which I, you know, found myself and found art and found the communities that I care about. Yeah, you, you, uh, you are and were fortunate. But you also have to give yourself credit for listening yeah. to people and taking their advice. Um, so in yeah. addition to being brilliant, you are also an assistant professor, an independent mm -hmm. writer. Uh, you're publishing your first manuscript next year. Um, and you're the executive director of Next Haven. So how do you do it all? How do you connect the dots? <laughs> <laughs> it's a handful. Uh, I know, I know. Um, I, well, so I'd say that at one point in time, the dots were certainly easier to connect. Um, so, you know, I come to Next Haven from working at the Studio Museum on and off for about a decade. So that's like the majority of my professional career. 
Um, and so when I started teaching, uh, you know, I was working at the studio museum as head of public programs and community engagement. Uh, I was living in Harlem. I walked to work. Uh, I was teaching at Barnard, you know, which is right down the street. Right. And the course that I was teaching was inspired by uh, Freestyle, which is a 2001 exhibition from the Studio Museum. Um, I was teaching it in collaboration with an artist and friend, Leslie Hewitt, that I met at the Studio Museum. Um, so all of those kind of connections were very present uh, in the ecosystem of, of Harlem. And, you know, all of the work was lending itself to each other. The students in my course came and did a mini residency at the Studio Museum, um, which, you know, was like a really awesome way to kind of subvert the traditional classroom model. Um, and so I think, when I think back about that time and how it kind of lent itself to me taking on this new task of writing a book, um, the whole thing was wrapped up in experimentation. So it was, uh, you know, institutions like Barnard and the Studio Museum learning from artists, um, artists learning from our students, and then, you know, the students kind of really learning from the community in which their their higher education is cited. So not just relying on books, but like getting out of the classroom, going down the street and going to these amazing cultural institutions that um, create the history that people study. Um, and so the book was, you know, and is um, truly like an extension of that work and those relationships. Um, and so I think it, for me, it's an opportunity to celebrate my collaborators, my peers and kind of museum work um, and like radical museum work. And um, it's published by the American Alliance of Museums. So I say all that to say it's a lot of context, but I think it's important because, you know, at one point in time, those felt uh, super anchored to Harlem and to the kind of communities that I was working within and exploring there. Um, and since coming to Next Haven, uh, I've really been encouraged and invited to kind of expand my thinking a bit more globally. So, um, you know, being excited by the mission of the Studio Museum and how that opened all of this up for me as like the genesis of, you know, all these different projects of teaching, of writing, uh, and thinking about how that applies in a more universal context. And so um, I think you know this, but, you know, I met Titus at the Studio Museum, uh, well, wow, like 2007. Um, when we were both kind of at the beginning of our, our careers, him as an artist in residence, me as a curator. Um, and so I think, you know, it's it's really awesome for this to all come full circle and for it to all come full circle here in New Haven uh, with the opportunity to build an institution from scratch uh, with an artist that I admire and that I've kept in touch with, um, you know, over the course of, of my career. And so... Yeah, I think it's um, zooming out, you know, and kind of trying to understand my practice within a broader ecosystem has been really, really awesome. Um, and I don't know that I do it all well on any given day, but I just try and think of balance as something that I might achieve, um, you know, over a longer view of time. <laughs> um, so, yeah. <laughs> Listening to you, it must have been so exciting to work with Titus to, to build upon this idea. It must have been so yeah. invigorating. Yeah. No, I mean, I remember the first time he called me um, to tell me about the project, you know, and like people that know Titus know that he he's curious. He's like a, an inquisitive learner. Um, and so he was really at first calling just to catch up and to ask me questions about, you know, what I was looking forward to. Um, 
because I think that's, you know, the future is like a thing that we forget about sometimes when we're so bogged down in the day-to-day practice of, you know, just like getting by (laughs) and like following through on our commitments. And so I think it felt like a really awesome invitation to, to dream in a way that I hadn't been doing just because of the ways in which, you know, I was kind of under-resourced, um, at the museum for a bit, just because, you know, we're the newest department, we're the smallest department. Uh, and it took a while to like build that and get it really up and running. And so, yeah, I think just being invited to kind of step back and think about like, if I had a blank piece of paper, what would I build? Um, and I told him, you know, I was basically like, I'm interested in um, what artists offer, you know, not just traditional understandings of, um, you know, creative problem solving and how uh, how artists are innovators, but how we can center artists in building spaces that serve uh, broader communities. And, you know, I basically described Next Haven without actually knowing what Next Haven was. And so it <laughs> kind of started like a really exciting conversation where we were talking about the roles of artists um, above and beyond, you know, what they produce as art in the world. And yeah, I came up here to see like a couple of holes in the ground and I was like, okay, all right, I see what you're doing. Um, you know, but it was, it was great. And it was, um, I think because Next Haven at the time, you know, it wasn't bearing the weight of a bunch of history, you know, it was still an idea. Uh, we're still very much under construction today. Um, yeah, I think it, it, it felt like there's enough space for me to play a really integral role in deciding how this institution is built and how it can be built, um, carrying with me all the lessons that I've learned from my mentors in the world, you know, from Thelma Golden at the Studio Museum, from Tina Camp at Barnard, uh, now at Brown, um, from Courtney Martin, you know, at Dia, now at the Yale Center for British Art. These are all amazing women of color that have equipped me with tools um, to feel confident in this role. Um, you know, because again, this is like nothing I've ever done. It's nothing anybody on the project has ever done. And the scale of what we're building is, is like truly immense. And so, yeah, I feel blessed. Yeah. What a dad. I feel blessed to be here. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> still, yes, still it, is, it is. It's actually, it's not even uh, midway yet. Um, so yeah. let's share with listeners more about what Next Haven offers and in that, if you can share with us what your challenges are, given the current environment with this virus. Sure. Um, I mean, so we're still working on like the elevator pitch because the truth is we do a lot. <laughs> and um, because we're not fully built, uh, you know, we're able to continue to add things to the pot that are relevant. Right. And so I think part of what I've enjoyed is coming to Next Haven in its kind of genesis, um, learning from the first cohort of artists that was here last year and graduated in December, and really allowing that to kind of impact uh, the mission statement and the program as we develop it in real time. Um, so in short, you know, it's like we are a multidisciplinary arts incubator. Um, you know, we are interested in launching professional careers. Um, the thing we don't tell a lot of people that I'm just sharing with you because this feels like an important moment to be transparent about this is that, um, you know, this is not the place that artists come that just want uh, a studio to like squirrel away in and make beautiful work and, and not engage the world. Um, You know, we've designed this as a year long fellowship experience uh, because 
we think it's important that people be able to show up as them, their full selves. Um, so people come with, with debt from art school. They come with um, trauma from art school. Uh, they come with, you know, ideas of skills that they have and ideas of skills that they want to acquire. And our professional development curriculum really connects them with professional artists, thinkers, scholars, curators in the world from whom they can learn. Um, and so for me, it's this mentorship piece uh, that's like the most unique, exciting aspect of what we do, which is, you know, we invest in people to come here to have the time and space, the time of the year, you know, a beautiful like 24 seven access, thousand square foot studio um, in which to really figure some things out professionally um, so that they can then take the next step uh, in their careers. And so, yeah, it's been, it's been amazing to see the artists that invest in this process from the mentorship, uh, the mentors perspective. So we've had folks like uh, McLean Thomas and Miguel Luciano and um, Antoine Sargent, um, you know, Kerry Schlotman, folks from Creative Capital, really taking time out of their, their busy schedules and practices to share from their experience um, some of these really essential skills. So thinking about, you know, public speaking, thinking about grant writing, um, art law and taxes, like the super unsexy <laughs> stuff that right. no one really wants to, <laughs> to think about, but that if you're being real about launching a career, it's like you have to at least know how those things operate and then choose not to, to care or not to use them, right? But it's important that we at least paint the broadest picture possible of uh, the skills we think necessary to become a professional artist that does this thing, you know, full time um, and yeah, can like take care of yourself. And so it's that, um, it's that mentorship fellowship experience. We have a, a high school apprenticeship, which is um, really, really exciting for me uh, as someone that hadn't quite worked with young people in this way before, you know, I've developed a lot of curriculum and uh, worked with young folks through my work at the studio museum, but to really imagine what it means to expose 14, 15, 16 year old kids um, to professional artists, like at the top of their game, um, you know, what that means in terms of like opening up new pathways of kind of dreaming and imagining yourself in the world. It's been, yeah, it's been amazing. Um, and so even just connecting these young people with skills they already had, but maybe weren't able to identify because of the ways that art is cut from schools and because of the ways that even within your family, you know, depending on if you're the only one, <laughs> you know, you might not be confident um, articulating or sharing, you know, your creativity out loud. And so to see, to see these apprentices learn from our, uh, our fellows and to see both cohorts learn from all the amazing visiting um, artists and curators that we have is, is to imagine um, a field that looks like this, um, you know, because we're working predominantly with uh, black and brown emerging professionals. Uh, you know, it's amazing because it's like, I didn't have this when I was at Brown, you know, again, this is like why I didn't study art history. This is why I was looking to alternative, um, you know, institutions uh, from which to like get my education, the studio museum being one. Um, so being able to kind of honor the legacy of awesome institutions that have been out here trying to create um, new pathways for people, but also new visions for what it means to be a creative professional is like, is just really awesome. So that's like who we are today. Um, when construction comes back online, 
we'll have um, co-working space so we can think about creativity in a broader sense. Uh, so supporting local entrepreneurs and business community. Um, we'll have a cafe. We'll have um, a gallery for exhibitions and programming. We'll have a black box theater. And probably most excitingly, we'll have a, a live work tower in the back of the facility, which is where we'll be able to host um, established artists for short-term stays. So thinking of like three to 12 months, uh, what it would mean to have some of those amazing visiting lecturers actually cited here wow. on our campus, um, making work, investing in the community, participating in like the broader culture uh, that's here in New Haven. And like that to me is the icing on the right. cake. <laughs> um, you know, which is like, uh, yeah, building the broader culture, I think is like the best way I can describe it's it. It must be so rewarding. Yeah, I mean, it is. <laughs> it is. I feel really fortunate to have my offices in the fellowship wing. So, you know, every time I go get water or answer the doorbell or get my mail, um, you know, I run into to artists. And so I think it uh, it keeps me honest. It reminds me of who I serve in the work, um, or at least, you know, one community of folks that I serve in the work. Um, and I think yeah, I learned so much from from those conversations and from the opportunity to to build this with them, right? I think the first cohort were so indebted to them because they elected to be here when we were literally just an idea, you know, like there wasn't a building really to speak of. Um, and they applied because they were like, I believe in whatever this thing is going to become. And I think maybe what they didn't know was that they were going to be part of, you know, authoring it with us and helping us to make some decisions that support them better. Um, so that feels, again, like a blessing. I feel very fortunate yeah. to be here. So, so share with us some of the challenges you're facing right now. I mean, in many ways, you are a first responder because a lot of artists and young people are looking to you for some guidance. Can you share with us what, mm. how this virus is impacting artists? Yeah. Um, I mean, so I think it's, it's super complicated, right? And I think it's nuanced for everybody individually. Um, and so I think what I'm finding like in a broad sense is that there's no kind of universal impact of COVID on artists, but, you know, I think for some, like, especially those that spend a good deal of time alone in their studio already, um, it can kind of feel like business as usual. Um, but I think, you know, for others who have like a performative aspect to their practice mm. or a social aspect to their practice, um, I think that, you know, reimagining an audience, um, and community for their work at this time is like super difficult. Um, you know, I don't think that Zoom can solve, <laughs> can solve for right. some of the, the intimacy issues that we're all experiencing right now. Um, and so I think in general, as a program, you know, we're coping really well. Um, we're staying connected with each other, you know, through like virtual happy hours and dance parties and studio visits. Um, our professional development curriculum is online. So in that sense, you know, there's no pause to what we're doing. Everyone's still at work. Um, but, you know, I think it, the, the undesigned moments of like intimacy and engagement with a community that, you know, people really learn from are, are few and far between, right? So, I think, you know, part of how we're trying to respond as an organization um, is to move up certain professional development workshops um, to the present. 
So thinking about all of the kind of emergency relief funds uh, that are now available for individual artists, um, you know, thinking that now is the time to have the grants writing workshop as opposed to the end of the year, um, because, you know, these skills feel even more pressing today, just based on the, the increase in opportunity, right? Um, and so I think that feels like a solution. Um, you know, I think that acknowledging that artists of color are like some of the most impacted by this um, and thinking about, you know, the kind of connected uh, financial and housing crises. Um, you know, a simple thing that we've been able to do is like fundraise to increase their stipend and to subsidize their housing, you know, at 100% for the rest of the year. Um, you know, those kind of gestures are really important in this moment, right? Because uh, people that rely on a gig economy or on teaching or other kind of forms of supplemental income, you know, and we acknowledge that our stipend is not a living wage, right? It's competitive, but it's not a living wage. And so, yeah, in order for us to support people being in this program, we really need to invest in them in every, every way. So we've been fortunate to have a board that's helped us to kind of raise those funds um, to support them in that way. And, you know, other kind of things like we're thinking about extending the fellowship um, another five, uh, five months. So instead of them graduating in December, they graduate in May, um, which again is a way to ensure that they get as much support as possible during the uncertainty, hoping that some stabilization happens on the other side. Um, but, you know, I think it's it's also that we don't know what the landscape of opportunity is going to look like at the end of the fellowship year either, right? And so wanting to make sure that, you know, people aren't stepping into like a desert. Um, and so really trying to work with our partners, both locally and nationally, to see, you know, what can be done um, to learn from artists in this moment and to support them in the best way possible, but to do that work together. Um, and so I think some of the most like... Uh, <laughs> rock star moments that I've seen in the last month have come from the high school apprentices, like some emerging artists in our program. Um, you know, and like in some ways they're the best equipped for this moment in terms of like uh, just owning virtual engagements. Um, and so, you know, they're all working on these independent projects from their homes uh, using Zoom to continue being mentored by, by their fellows here. Um, and just trying to stay positive and trying to to share what they're what they're making on our website on our uh, journal blog, and so I think you know the thing that Titus has been sharing with everyone um, that I think is really inspirational is that you know historically like artists create some of their most amazing work um, in crises like this. Um, I'm thinking back on you know the election <laughs> when Trump got elected. You know, there's like some really amazing work that was being created in that time. And, you know, I'm not equating COVID to Trump's election in, by any means, but I think, uh, yeah, there are these significant events that are undeniably impacting um, the world. And so I think to support our artists, um, both in terms of resources, but also reminding them that this is a time to, to go inward and to tap into the creativity that they have in spades and really, um, yeah, own it and to produce new work, to ask questions, to allow the work to ask questions. Um, so I think what I'm seeing is that artists are, especially the artists we work with, are like more inspired than ever. They're more active than ever. Um, they're in the studio, so they're still making work. Um, they're the only ones at Next Haven. And yeah, I think it's, I'm excited to see 
what this produces. Um, you know, we'll have some exhibitions as soon as we're allowed to reopen. And, you know, at that point, I think we'll be able to, to see with our own eyes, you know, how artists have actually been processing uh, this moment. So, yeah, again, I think it's complicated. I think it's nuanced. Um, but for the most part, I think artists don't, uh, yeah, they don't sleep on <laughs> opportunities like this to really think uh, more globally about what their work has to say. And, you know, how you answered that question is a huge reflection on you, how much of an um, optimist that you are, because your answer is uplifting. You know, it wasn't do- doom and gloom, <laughs> which is great, especially for those, to, to the fact that that's how your mind thinks and that's uh, your personality. It's um, it's really helpful for the people that you're working with, the artists and those uh, teens. So. Um, your parents did a really good Thank job. You. Um, so, so one last question, and that is: in your ideal world, a year from mm-hmm. now, what does the Next Haven community look like? It's so funny because you know time is like um, such an abstract concept <laughs> for me today. But you know, I think that. Um, so, okay, so I'm going to be as direct as I can. I think, you know, in an ideal world, um, in a year from now, like COVID-19 has receded um, without claiming, you know, too many more lives. Um, you know, Next Haven has played a role in restoring some of the intimacies um, that have been lost during this time. So just thinking about how we reopen our doors, you know, believing that we're going to, and then um, thinking about how and who is invited uh, to help kind of rebuild the culture. Um, and so I think, you know, those things feel important to say up front. I think in general, people are going to be looking to cultural institutions for, for in-person experiences. And I think, you know, part of it is like how we, as a, as a species, (laughs) as a social species, how we undo some of the trauma, um, of like being self-isolated and quarantined for however long this goes on. Um, and so, yeah, I think for Next Haven, it's like, it feels like our responsibility to take what has been essentially a private program, right? So our fellowship and our apprenticeship, we have open studios, we have exhibitions, but in terms of who we serve most most readily, it's, you know, the 18 artists and apprentices that are here and curators. Um, and so I think, yeah, in a year from now, we've developed like a more public face. So all of our workshops are not just available for the fellows online, they're available for the general public. Um, The virtual programming that we've developed, you know, as a response to COVID uh, for the exhibitions is not just in response to this moment, but is a way to remain more accessible as we, as we grow and as we continue to, to build out uh, both the space, but the pro and the program. Um, And so I think that that feels important. And then I think, a year from now, we'll have our alumni network will have doubled. Um, and so I think thinking about what they're up to in the world and how they're taking the lessons they've learned here and transforming their communities, building their own institutions, um, you know, writing the uh, the culture that they want to be a part of. I think that to me is really, really exciting. Um, and yeah, I think that by then, hopefully there'll be, uh, there'll be enough of a momentum um, to really get folks here. Cause I think that that's the other piece is, you know, while we're locally minded and we're really excited about, uh, what we're able to build in Dixwell and in New Haven, we're also excited about how we kind of factor into a national conversation. And so, um, 
yeah, my belief is that like in a year from now, uh, more people will know about us and know about what we're trying to build and achieve and they will want to come be a part of it in some way, whether or not that's, you know, as a, a participant in the fellowship or the artists in residence live work tower, or just as a active community member. Um, I'm excited to just see how we continue to grow. Yeah, and I'm excited to watch and I'm excited to be able to share this episode with everybody. And I want everybody to research and visit your website to see the wonderful work you do. And maybe a year from now we'll have a, another episode and you'll give us an update. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yes, let's do that. Sure. <laughs> thank you so much, yeah, Nico. Thank it's you so been much. great speaking with you. And take care. Be safe. Yeah, you okay. also. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. For additional content, please visit CerebralWomen.com and be sure to follow Cerebral Women on Instagram. 